Hello and welcome to episode 233 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's story from Yorkshire spans over 20 years and it's a mysterious story of motive and just how much value, or not, is placed on human life. As you know, CrimeCon hits London in September and as well as getting money off tickets using the code UKTC, I've given all my supporters on Patreon a chance to win a hotel room at the CrimeCon Hotel in St Paul's for the Saturday night of CrimeCon. Worth about £200. Good, huh? If you want to win this prize, just join me at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. And as always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially the new members of this exclusive club. That's Sally Handley, Camilla De Bruyne, and Dave Stewart. Thank you all so much for your support, which is much appreciated. So if you haven't joined us yet, just head to patreon.com slash a UK true crime. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Have you played Best Fiends yet? If not, find out today why it's so popular and download it for free today. With Best Fiends, the fun always continues whenever you have some free time. There are literally thousands of levels to play and tons and tons of cute characters to collect. I know how it is when you're tired of playing the same old puzzle games. So start playing Best Fiends as there's always loads of variety with new challenges, characters and events. I love solving the puzzles, not just alone, but when I've played with friends and family during lockdown. It's great as it means I can still have fun with those close to me when I've not been able to meet them. And trust me, it gets super competitive every time. Another reason I love Best Fiends is that you don't need the internet to play. This means whenever I have 15 or 20 minutes free on my phone, I can be playing Best Fiends. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Let's set some context for today's story. Top of the UK music charts was Never Leave You from Tinchy Strider featuring Amel. In the US, it was one you probably haven't heard of, I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. And in the Australian album charts this month was Essential Michael Jackson. In the news this month, legend Usain Bolt of Jamaica edged American Tyson Gay to win the 100 metres in the world record 9.58 seconds at the World Athletics Championships in Berlin. Remember that? Walt Disney announced it would acquire Marvel Entertainment. Great train robber Ronnie Biggs, who was gravely ill, was granted release from prison on compassionate grounds. And the Scottish Justice Secretary, Kenny McCaskill, granted release to the convicted Lockerbie Bomber on compassionate grounds as well, stating that he was in the final stages of terminal prostate cancer. Did you get the month and year? It was August 2009. In 1989, Desmond Lee was still a teenager at just 19 years old when he strangled his landlady, 46-year-old Shirley Carr. Lee had been staying at Shirley's home in Thornton, Bradford when the relationship with his first serious boyfriend started to deteriorate. One night, his boyfriend failed to come back home and Lee later learnt that he'd actually moved out and gone back to live with his ex-partner leaving Lee distraught. Talking about the murder, Lee told detectives that he was terribly upset and had been drinking heavily. He classed himself as an alcoholic at that time. 
and he told how his landlady Shirley had taunted him about the breakup of his relationship when he felt so devastated. He later recalled what happened next, saying, I just got hold of her by the shoulders, shook her, and we ended up on the floor and my hands covered her mouth and nose, and I suffocated her. He was too scared to tell police what he had done and just left the body in the house, but it wasn't long until Lee was arrested, and though he denied the charge of murder, Desmond Lee was found guilty and spent 14 years in jail before being released in 2004. Let's forward wind five years after his release from prison to the summer of 2009. On August 26, 2009, a jogger was out running at Scarendon Moor near Huddersfield when he saw what seemed to be a human body. He called the police and they confirmed that the naked and decomposing body was 51-year-old father of two, Christopher Pratt. Christopher was a civil servant, a job centre plus worker, who was in a long-term relationship. He was a missing person, having been missing from his home in Grantham, Lincolnshire for two weeks, having last been seen alive in Dewsbury, West Yorkshire, on August 19th. He had spoken to his partner and his daughter on August 15th, and was believed to have visited a friend in Dewsbury, and his blue Peugeot 308 sports car was found in the town by police. The post-mortem confirmed that he had been murdered, as he had suffered a fractured larynx, commonly known as the voice box, and a fractured hyoid, which is another bone in the neck. These injuries suffered by Christopher Pratt would have been caused by sustained pressure or a blow to the neck, and were not the sort of injuries which could have been sustained accidentally. A prime suspect in the murder of Christopher Pratt and living locally was Desmond Lee, who had now been out of prison for just five years. It transpired that Christopher had sent his 20-year-old daughter Rebecca a text message after she tried to contact him after he failed to meet her and her brother David for a Sunday dinner in Grantham. The text said, Hi there, just to let you know I'm with Des. He's in a bad way. We'll phone Monday. Lol. And later that week, Rebecca found a number for Desmond Lee at her dad's home, and she phoned him several times as her concern for her dad grew. Lee told her that her dad had gone to Heckmondwike to visit friends, and he'd not seen him since. And when questioned by police, he told them the same story. But he'd left his car for Lee to use in Dewsbury. PC Nigel Adenall, one of the officers who spoke to him, said, He didn't seem overly concerned that two police officers were at his door. Desmond Lee continued to deny having anything to do with Christopher's disappearance and then later his death. And he even told how he was concerned about him. And he had spoken to Christopher Pratt's family to pass on the information that he hoped could have been useful in the search for Christopher. But detectives believed that Desmond Lee was the one person who knew full well that the disappearance wasn't a missing persons case, but murder. They believed that Lee had sent the text to Rebecca from Christopher's phone, because by then, they believed that Lee had killed him. But first, they had to find the evidence to support this. Detective Chief Inspector Mark Ridley led the investigation into Christopher Pratt's death. He said, Working closely with the Forensic Science Service, we were able to build a case of insurmountable evidence against Lee. 
Among the key clues was a piece of masking tape used to wrap Christopher's body. It was an exact match with a piece discovered at Lee's flat. And as so often, CCTV played a key role. It showed Desmond Lee's exact movements at the time the murder took place, highlighting inconsistencies in the accounts he'd given to the police and also to Christopher's family. The detective said Lee, who did not own a vehicle, was seen using Christopher Pratt's car. This was later found to contain bloodstains in the boot, which had originated from Christopher. Then there was a call that Lee later made to a retail store, where Lee pretended to be Christopher to try to buy goods using his bank cards. But again, technology was against him, as despite his denials, expert voice analysis proved that the caller was in fact Desmond Lee. Faced with such evidence against him, he finally told his version of events. But only after his trial had opened, as before this he still refused to admit to having any involvement in the death of Christopher Pratt. He told how he had met Christopher at a gay club in Dewsbury last year and had sex with him after going back to his home in Grantham in Lincolnshire. It's about 80 miles south of Dewsbury. From there they continued to meet, including another time when he was involved in a threesome with Christopher Pratt and his partner. On August the 15th, Christopher travelled to visit him in Dewsbury and they had sex that night. It sounds like quite an evening, as Lee told detectives he had drunk about a litre and a half of vodka, some Bacardi and Stella. In addition, he had taken some cocaine, cannabis and amyl nitrate. The next day they had sex again, this time in a mattress that he had put down on the floor of his living room. Again, he had been drinking heavily, and at one point whilst they were having sex, he told how he leaned over a little to put a glass of water down and get some drugs with one arm, while the other arm was under Christopher's neck below him. He said that after taking a couple of puffs from the cannabis joints, he snorted some more cocaine, had another quick drink of water, and then inhaled some amyl nitrate. He reckoned this must have taken him somewhere around about four minutes. He then carried on with the sexual activity, and it was only when he was finished that he realised that Christopher was unresponsive and no longer moving. To his horror, he looked at Christopher's face and quickly realised that he was in fact dead. Lee believed that the weight of his body on Christopher Pratt's back forced his arm against the neck, which would have resulted in the broken bones and his death. On realising he was dead, Lee told how he quickly sobered up and ran straight in the bathroom to be sick. Although hard to believe, there is a minute possibility that Lee could have been telling the truth about how Christopher died. That is, until the jury realised just how Lee had reacted following Christopher's death. As the body was still warm in his flat, Lee relieved Christopher of his debit and credit cards, using them to pay his mobile phone bill and ordering over £200 of food from Asda, along with a mattress, two leather sofas and a towel bale. And he tried to spend over £1,000 at Argos. He also bought more alcohol for a party he had planned with his neighbours. Then just hours later, Lee had gone out to spend some time with friends and had returned at one stage back to his flat for a pint of milk for his friend and neighbour, the same flat where Christopher's body still lay. 
It was only the next day that he put Christopher's body in Christopher's car that he'd driven to his house in and then dumped it on moorland, along the blood-stained duvet cover and futon mattress about a mile away from the Nantes-Sarah's Hotel at Scamondon. After he got home, he changed into a smarter set of clothes and went out again. Detectives believe he went out again looking for casual sex and was certainly not mourning or grieving for Christopher. At the trial, Lee denied murdering 51-year-old Christopher Pratt and it was only now that he gave his updated account of how the sex injury had killed Christopher. The trial lasted seven days and the five women and seven men on the jury were told about Lee's previous murder conviction. He said that the fact he'd previously been found guilty of murder is the reason that he'd initially attempted to cover up Christopher Pratt's death. Knowing that he'd killed once, he was sure that he would not be believed when he claimed it had been an accident. In court, he demonstrated just how Christopher had died during sex, using a mannequin to show the jury just what had happened. He then explained what he had done when he found that Christopher was dead, saying, I tried moving Chris and he wasn't moving. I pushed him again and nothing. I pulled him towards me and by the sight of his face I knew something was wrong. I immediately ran to the bathroom and was sick. Were you frightened? asked the prosecutor. Petrified, said Lee, because there was a dead body in my flat. I thought I'd never be believed because there's the old saying, you'd done it once, you'd done it again. The prosecutor continued, When Mr Pratt died in your flat, were you terribly upset? Yes, because he died, said Lee. So why, when he was still warm, were you on the telephone to Virgin Media, getting your telephone bill paid by the means of his credit card? We think he died at 2pm. At 3pm, you were getting your phone bill paid when he was barely cold. What made you think, I will ring Virgin? I needed to talk to someone, said Lee. I needed to pay it, because I had my phone cut off. When asked about the further spending on the credit cards after Christopher's death, he said, I thought I would have a try. He went on to explain that he did it, because he was numb due to Christopher's death. Forensic pathologist Charles Wilson dismissed his story as implausible, saying, Accidental strangulation isn't something I've ever encountered in nearly 15 years of pathological practice. Although under cross-examination, he did admit that there was a remote possibility that this could have occurred. After the jury was sent out to consider the case, they took just two and a half hours before returning a unanimous verdict of guilty of murder. On hearing this verdict, Lee, who was still only 39 years old, slumped forward in the dock, a picture of desolation. This contrasted with Christopher's many family and friends present, who either cheered through relief or openly sobbed. The judge said, Having committed this terrible crime, you dispose of the body of Christopher Pratt. It was a carefully planned and executed operation. The naked body of Christopher was left on bleak moorland, where it remained for 11 days. On the day of his death and in the days that immediately followed, he used his debit and credit cards for personal gain. Your behaviour demonstrated a complete and callous absence of remorse. The judge told Lee that he would spend the rest of his life behind bars as she handed him 
a whole life order, saying, Less than five years after your release you killed Christopher. You are a dangerous and evil man. In the circumstances, the order which I propose to make is a whole life order, which is exactly what it means. Life in your case should mean life. By passing this sentence, Desmond Lee joined a very gruesome club of others who have been given a whole life sentence, including Bradford serial killer Stephen Griffiths, Levi Belfield and Scottish serial killer Peter Tobin. The family of Christopher spoke after the trial about him, calling him a very trusting man who was betrayed by someone he'd seen as a friend. Let me give you their statement, it read. Christopher was an extremely private, compassionate and caring person. He just got mixed up with the wrong man. He was so trusting that he'd go out of his way to help anyone. But in assisting someone who he thought was a friend in need, he received the ultimate betrayal. Christopher was law-abiding, hard-working and very popular among his friends and colleagues. He liked to joke and always had a funny story to tell. Everybody who knew him had a good word to say about him. He doted on his children and was really proud of them. He was a skilled photographer, cook and gardener with an interest in travelling. Before Desmond Lee brought his life to an abrupt end, he was the happiest he'd been for a long time. It had been very difficult for all of us to come to terms with Christopher's death and particularly hard to go through this trial listening to Desmond Lee's lies. Christopher will always be thought of with fond memories and we will continue to support his children who've been the real victims here. So what do you make of what we've heard today? The explanation given by Desmond Lee for murdering Christopher was described widely in the press as crackpot. But just what was the motive? Was it financial and was he planning to rob him? Surely if financial was the real motive, there'd have been easier ways for him to to earn and gain the money. This seems a very elaborate ploy to do so. Or maybe he just decided on the spur of the moment, who knows, all the chemicals he was taking, who knows what he was thinking at the time. It does make me wonder as well, there isn't too much about Desmond Lee to find online. And that's stuff that I have found, I've purposely tried not to use in this episode because I really wanted to focus much more on Christopher Pratt than Lee, who is someone who is eminently forgettable. However, you can't help wondering in those five years, how many other men may he have attacked and maybe even killed? All those missing people, what do you think? Was Desmond Lee responsible for many more murders than we currently know? I wonder. And even going back to the murder in 1989 of his landlady, again, why murder her, even if he did believe that she was taunting him, unlikely as it seems? With Desmond Lee, it seems that we are never going to know exactly why he took two lives, meaning that at just 39, he was told that he would never leave prison alive. I also wonder about the full life sentence, don't you? How you must feel to be in prison for the rest of your natural life. I wonder how it makes you react. Does it make you care less or care more in a sense because you're trying to create some sort of life for yourself there? But enough about Desmond Lee. We don't really care what happens to him. We're just delighted that he's finally off the streets and can't hurt other people. So that is all from me for today. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime, 
please head to the Facebook group. And to be in the shout of winning that hotel room for the Saturday night of CrimeCon, look, even if you don't plan to go to CrimeCon, just take the room and spend the weekend in London. It's a fantastic hotel. And to win that and to access all the other bonus episodes and exclusive content, please do head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So until we speak again very soon, please do take it easy, and despite all the others, stay classy.